Hello and welcome to Being Well. I'm Forrest Hansen. If you're new to the podcast, this is where we explore the practical science of lasting well-being. And if you've listened before, welcome back. I'm joined today, as usual, by Dr. Rick Hansen. Rick is a clinical psychologist and a best-selling author who spent over 35 years teaching people the key lessons from psychology and contemplative practice that lead to a good life. How are you doing today, Dad? I'm really good, Forrest. I just love doing this with you. And I feel so appreciative that my son still wants to talk with me. (laughs) (laughs) It is a little bit novel in parent-child relationships sometimes. I mean, I'm hoping a lot of our listeners have lovely relationships with their parents as well, but I know that that is not always the case. So I I definitely, uh, you know, I'm glad that things turned out this way for us as well. Oh, yeah. In a funny kind of way, I think the unfortunate is normal in a Mm -hmm. sense that it's really quite normal to have some kind of family discord. And, uh, you know, there's the opening line, of course, to Anna Karenina, all families, all happy families are alike, but every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. I think that's pretty close. And anyway, when I was a kid, uh, even as an adult, there were definitely times where I preferred not to talk with my parents. Uh, so I'm glad you still do. Well, I, I I do still talk to you, Dad. But when I was growing up, too, there were times where I preferred not to talk to my <laughs> parents either. So neither of us were immune to that one, I would say. But actually, this is sort of a wonderful segue into our topic today, because the holidays are coming up. And with the holidays come family, or at least normally. But for many people, they're likely to be having a very different holiday experience this year from usual. Uh, We've actually been trying to figure out ourselves how to have Thanksgiving and Christmas in a socially distanced world, uh, managing both our desire to have some semblance of normalcy with each other as a family, alongside wanting to be responsible and keeping everyone safe. And alongside that, for me at least, is this real feeling of, I think, natural sadness and disappointment in the reality that things are going to be different this year. So we're going to be using this as an opportunity to talk today in this episode about sadness and disappointment generally, and perhaps maybe a little bit about families as well. And what can we do to work with sadness when it inevitably arises, and how can we come to terms with things when they don't go our way? So how does that sound to you? A very timely and actually perennial topic. So before we get into the content of today's episode, I do want to take a moment to let people know that your online Foundations of Wellbeing program just opened up registration for 2021. Foundations, or FWB as we call it, is a year-long program of personal development that'll teach you how to change your brain in lasting ways. And it also walks people through how to grow 12 key strengths, like courage and confidence and compassion, in their mind and in their heart. Early bird registration is now open, and if you register before December 4th, you can actually get half off the program price. There are also need-based scholarships available, which I know is one of the uh, elements of the program that makes you really happy, Dad. Mm -hmm. And if you're a mental health professional, you can receive 20 continuing education credits through the program. Uh, So it's a good way to get those as well if you're in the market for them. Uh, Anything you'd like to add, Rick? I think of it as sort of an amusement park and a walk as a kind of journey uh, that contains pretty much everything I've learned, close to everything I've learned about the practical skills of Mm, lasting mm -hmm. well-being in a changing world. And uh, it's a deep dive, but I want to really stress the fact that it's well-organized and people can just take what they want from it. There are Mm. guided meditations. I give talks. I explain stuff. 
We have fabulous guest experts like Tara Brock. We have little self-assessment quizzes that you could study yourself. We have creative art activities. We have experiential activities. We have all these scientific papers that support it, what we're doing kind of in the background if you're interested in it. And we have a really clear roadmap that you can walk so that you would take on 2021 and say, hey, I want to make this one of the truly best years of my life by investing in myself for my own well-being and also because it's going to spill over and help a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. And that's the opportunity in that program. So if you want to learn more about foundations, I've included a link to it in the description of today's podcast, so you can check it out there. Or you can go to Rick's website, where there are all kinds of banners for it, and you can find it probably pretty easily. So for today's episode, uh, let's say that somebody, I don't know, you were talking to somebody or somebody came into your office as a, uh, as a clinician. Or maybe to make it more contemporary, you started your session with somebody over Zoom. <laughs> and yep. they said to you, the holidays stress me out most of the time. And this year, I just feel really sad about everything. Things aren't going to be the same, and the increased contact that I am going to have with people just makes me even more nervous. Because of COVID, yeah. Because of COVID, yeah. What would you say to somebody? Well, I would say, first of all, that those reactions are perfectly normal. And that sadness broadly is a natural response to loss, frustration, disappointment. And like all emotions, it is a signal to us about something that matters. So it's mm. Mother Nature's way of trying to help us. And I think this way of uh, relating to emotions, which may feel unpleasant, sadness, anger, fear, or shame, the kind of four major spectra or bands or uh, ranges of, of so-called negative emotions, they may not feel very good, but they're trying to help us. They're trying mm. to tell us something. And so we begin with acceptance. We begin with normalizing. We begin with validating, of course. And hopefully we bring, as we've talked about, a quality of compassion to ourselves, a certain friendliness, a certain interest, a certain inquiry. In other words, what's skillful and useful is to do the opposite of what our routine reaction can be, which is to harden ourselves, stiffen up, brace ourselves against what we're feeling and feel ashamed of ourselves or inadequate or angry with ourselves that we're feeling it, and then be harsh with ourselves. You know, buck up, quit whining, people are starving around the world, quit being so mopey, get a grip. That's often a natural response or a a learned habitual response, mm -hmm. but it's a really problematic one. So first and foremost, I would say slow it down, feel it, and try to accept it. And don't throw second darts, to use the metaphor from the early teachings of the Buddha. You know, don't throw second darts uh, of getting angry with yourself or suppressing uh, what you're feeling, which is a very natural thing to feel. Yeah, I think that there are, I mean, that's such a natural segue into so many different things, right? But mm. something that I do really want to highlight is the way in which there are social pressures for us to not mm. be sad or to not be in any kind of experience of negative emotion. Um, one good example of this is what sometimes people refer to as toxic positivity. If you've spent much time on Instagram or social media, you may have seen something about it, or you may have seen a good example of it where basically people are often encouraged to just put on a smile, 
just look on the bright side, just look at the glasses half full, whatever it might be. And while those can be useful tactics occasionally in how we relate to our internal states, um, over time, they can actually cause us to repress our, our natural normal feelings. And that repression often causes the emotion to fester over time. Uh, there's this phrase that's used in psychology sometimes, experiencing out, where we don't want to bottle up our emotions because when you hold on to it, it doesn't change. It might intensify, it might weaken a little bit, but it doesn't go anywhere. It's kind of trapped inside of you. And the only way that we can kind of experience out our emotions is when we're in a situation where we feel safe enough to feel them and we give ourselves permission to feel them. I forget who that line is from, but permission to feel is from somebody. And do you mm. remember that? No. Um, I, I feel like it's the title of a book or something that I'm blanking <laughs> on, but I, I just want to give like a shout out to that phrase, which I heard somewhere else. Okay, good. Yeah, but I think that that's like such a key part of the whole process is starting with an acceptance of the emotion and understanding that you are experiencing it, a willingness to not suppress it, and mm -hmm. a kind of openness to finding an environment where whether it's you just sitting down in a room by yourself, laying down on your bed, or I mean, hopefully talking it out with somebody that you respect and appreciate, whether that be an actual therapist or psychologist or just like a good friend or partner or whoever else where you can kind of talk through that emotion or talk about how you are having that sad experience and, that it, and therefore allow it to move out of you. Yeah, I would like to really add a couple things to that. Uh, one is to think of sadness often as linked to grieving or mourning mm -hmm. and loss. And so it's a natural response to loss, as I just mentioned a second ago. And if you just think about mourning and grieving, we need to go through that process. And it, mourning and grieving has its own rhythm. And the current stresses related to COVID, related to holidays, et cetera, et cetera, very often in the, in the brain, which is a vast association network, these experiences today connect often and readily to old material, which then turbocharges or uh, biases what we're feeling today. Uh, old losses, previous times of mourning and grieving, including sometimes incomplete experiencing out of old issues mm -hmm. that are then um, tapped into by the current problem. So for example, um, I had a lot of sort of sadness as a kid and for different reasons. And so then sometimes things would happen as an adult where it was as if there was this big tank <laughs> of tears that rip <laughs> the current mm -hmm. event, you know, sort of like dr drilling for oil or water, you know, the current event just drilled down into and suddenly there's a geyser of old, mater yeah. old material coming out that can sometimes surprise us. So these are some of the things that can happen. And just one more little detail, there's an acronym, SAD for SAD, stands for sad, anxious, depressed. And very often those three present together as a combination. And it's mm -hmm. helpful for people to be aware of these other possibilities when they're, when they're tuning into some sadness in themselves. So let's say that somebody has a sense for these feelings inside of themselves, whether it's directed kind of at the holiday specifically, or just the general experience of loss and disappointment that so many are feeling around the last whatever it is, 10 months at this point, and that person's able to contact it, that sensation, they're able to be honest with themselves about, oh, this is a feeling that I am truly having inside of myself and I want to kind of do some work with it. How would you uh, help 
guide somebody to kind of feel that feeling inside of themselves and work with it in sort of a healthy way, even whether it was a meditative practice or it was a body scan or even psychologically kind of more top down. Hmm, sure. I'll do this in a little bit of a checklist kind of way, mm-hmm. uh, just very directly and kind of clinically. So, step one, uh, find your footing. In other words, take a second or a breath or a day to establish some solid base from which you can experience whatever there is to experience without being flooded, hijacked, re-traumatized, et cetera, by it. And that finding of your footing is really, really important. People uh, may be doing it automatically and not noticing it. People may not be doing it at all and then getting swept away. Try to pay attention to that initial sense of, okay, um, I'm on my own side here. I know I need to feel this. I don't like it, but I still have to feel it. Uh, I know there's a good reason for doing it. I know I'm not going to die. I know I'm not going to be swept away. I know I'm not going to do anything bad. I'm going to bring a certain basic attitude of support and compassion to myself, a kind of clarity of, you know, it's, it's understandable that I feel this way. Okay. So it's like establishing that base. And uh, it's important not to bypass that step. Second, to whatever extent a person can, without significant costs, try to open to the feelings and be curious about them and let them flow. What I mean by that, without significant costs, sometimes it's appropriate to just touch the surface layer of what we're feeling and go no deeper because we're not yet ready to go deeper. Sometimes it's appropriate to go really deep for a few seconds or minutes, and then we Mm. step back from it. Uh, Peter Levine talks about this in some ways as pendulation, like a pendulum swinging in and then swinging back out. So to whatever extent you're comfortable with, and sometimes that's dictated by circumstances. You're driving, you've got to pick up the kids, you don't have a lot of time to process stuff, whatever it might be. So then you try to feel it, and I think it's really particularly helpful to try to really focus on the body sensations and Mm -hmm. the nonverbal dimensions of the feeling. There's often a thought track, a cognitive track, sometimes with, often with a lot of verbal activity that's commenting on the feelings or creating a lot of story about it or making them mean something. And it's much, but that gets in the way of fully experiencing them out. Instead, it's really helpful to go to the primary material, not the secondary commentary on it or the meaning making around it or even the planning or or desires to fix something, the the fix-it attitude. Could you give an example of the primary material? Is that the sensation itself? Is it like the root experience? What do you kind of mean by that? Yeah, so right now, uh, readily I can tap into or I can bring up like the body memory of sadness. So it feels like a weightiness in the chest, Mm -hmm. the sensation aspects to your point, Uh, feeling in the diaphragm and the belly, a heaviness, There's a sense of deflation, a sense Mm -hmm. of lowering Mm -hmm. energy, Mm -hmm. a kind of slumping, uh, the bodily movements, postures that relate to that. I'm not saying these are always what people experience, but I'm giving you examples of the very uh, nonverbal, sensed, emotional qualities. There could be a kind of an attitude uh, in it 
or deep under it could well be longings like, oh, why doesn't someone help me? Or why do I have to feel this way again? Or they hurt me. But it's important to not get too deep into those thoughts, you know, the commentary, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and to keep trying to stay with what is it that you really long for here? Well, mm-hmm. What is your body experiencing right now? At the heart of the emotion, what is it? Often it's pretty simple. There's not a lot to say about it, right? Mm -hmm. Like I kind of gave a pretty thorough description of the embodied uh, sense of sadness for me, you know, right there. And it didn't take a lot of commentary. If we're going to talk, then if we're going to move into the secondary material about why I feel this way, why I shouldn't feel this way, what I'm going to do about why I feel this way, why you're bad because you made me feel this way, you know, Mm. then boom, there's a vast proliferation of of like a word cloud, a thought cloud. And there's, you know, a little place for it. Sometimes it's informative. But uh, when when people are really oriented around feeling something fully, you're, you're coming down into the primary material. And it's pretty quick often. When you get in touch with it, it's there. And and then it can start to kind of vibrate and start to move move along. Okay. So talking about that stage of the process, let's say that somebody is in a relatively safe environment to do this kind of work mm-hmm. inside of themselves. They're sitting down, they're alone, whatever it might be. They feel that primary material. They've Maybe their eyes are open, maybe their eyes are closed, maybe they're doing this as a meditative practice, maybe it's not. But either way, they're, kind of, they're in the sense of that primary material. How can we help nudge it along, not giving up our sadness, but helping it to kind of flow as opposed to just staying in the painful experience of it? Right. So, and one other, that's really great. So now we're into step three. So step one, find your footing. Step two, open to the feelings uh, with very in various skillful ways. One additional way to open to the feeling is to just sort of note or describe with a word or phrase what you're feeling in a really simple way. Mm-hmm. Heaviness, slumping. Uh, sometimes imagery comes up here as we're trying to really allow the emotions to speak in their own language. And they may speak to us with imagery. Like, I, there was an important image for me when I separated uh, from my very first girlfriend in Finland because I had to leave the country. And I had a dream in which I imagined her and me standing on top of two spires uh, in the mountains, in the desert, let's say, uh, mm-hmm. with a big separation between us. And that image uh, was very, you know, really told me a lot how I felt. So there may be images that come to you as well, or you can open to them, maybe things related to feeling like a little child if you're tapping into the deeper layers of the emotion. Okay, you've opened. Now we want to move into releasing. So we've kind of followed the model of let be, let go, let in. Now we're into let go. Multiple ways to to release emotion, and I've had a lot of training in this, and there are a lot of different approaches. Uh, so some of this may seem a little touchy feely, a little you know, excellent centric, and excellence awesome, <laughs> and there are other methods than the ones I'm going to say. So just kind of moving through it, sometimes they're just a simple natural process in which it feels like the tension pattern in the body that underlies, that somatically underlies. The emotion, like of sadness or anger or fear or shame, that tension pattern starts to soften and release. And you can kind of help it by deliberately letting go in those areas of your body, telling yourself to relax in those little parts of your body, 
just tuning into them, locating a space is an old instruction uh, in a particular part of the body where there's a tension pattern uh, or a sensation pattern that underlies a feeling. So you just let go in the body in particular. You can very kind of globally let go in the body through deliberately relaxing the body, uh, maybe in a progressive way, starting from the feet, moving up to the head or the, the head on down to the feet or deliberately taking some long exhalations, engaging the parasympathetic branch of the nervous system, relaxing and soothing and easing. So we're, uh, we're really letting it go. I, I like the imagery I learned in the you know, early 1970s. Imagine that they're little valves on the tips of your fingers and the tips of your toes, 20 little valves. And then imagine that the emotion uh, or whatever you're experiencing that you wanna release in your body is like an orange liquid that fills you. And you'll, you'll see little patches of that orange in different parts of your body where it's located. And then open the valves and just imagine that the orange liquid is gradually draining out of you even as you exhale. You could also do a thing where you uh, imagine putting the feelings in, uh, like for example, you're expressing them as a murky cloud every time you exhale, like a smoggy, dusty, smelly maybe, you know, cloud leaving you as you exhale. You can imagine taking the feelings and or the whole reaction pattern even. Maybe there's a whole reaction pattern of beliefs mm -hmm. and desires mm -hmm. and attitudes. You just want to disengage from and release. Imagine putting it on a little tiny boat on the edge of a vast river and then pushing it out into the boat, knowing that it will be swept out to sea. Or people will do imagery here where they, they release things into the universe. You know, just sort of just give it over to the universe, a, a sense of the vastness of the universe, as well as its wonderfully abundant fertility. Many people bring in something spiritual here, you know, turning it over uh, to God, uh, the common practice, or just uh, maybe there's a sense of you have allies uh, of some kind, your ancestors, your ancestors, uh, or, you know, nature in some way, you're releasing it there. So these are ways. Mm -hmm. Another is if there's something to express, to perhaps really express it. Do a writing exercise where you write out how yeah, you feel. Totally. Yeah. Or maybe you use, it's a classic method, your non-dominant hand. Uh, like for me, that would be my left hand. I've definitely done things where I wrote letters to people I was never going to send with, my, with a crayon in my hand. F, U, <laughs> C. <laughs> <laughs> with letters, you know, about a, six inches high, uh, whatever. And then, you know, you can do things like you write a letter, you, you, know, you go outside, you burn it, you scatter the ashes, you give the ashes out to, the, out to nature, you just flow it up into the air, you release in various ways. There are a lot of ways to release. It's really important. Another obvious is to talk about it with a friend in which the clear stated intent is to release not mm -hmm. to rev up or reinforce or try to possess, but actually moving into a letting go. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you do if you had an extra hour in your day? We're all looking for more time, but time for what? It's easy to waste time doing the things that don't really matter, and it can sometimes feel like we never have time for what does. Learning what we really value and making it a priority in our lives is something therapy can help us with. As you probably already know, I'm a huge believer in the power of therapy, and working with a therapist has made a huge difference in my life. 
If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeingWell today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BeingWell. As somebody who's really struggled with skin issues like acne over the course of my life, I know just how great it is to not stress about what's going on with your skin. That's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, OneSkin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy while looking and feeling your best. No complicated routine, no multi-step protocols, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. The secret is OneSkin's proprietary OS01 peptide. It's the first ingredient proven to work with the aging cells that cause lines, wrinkles, and thinning skin. And as somebody who's used plenty of complicated routines in the past, I love the simplicity of using their OS01 face topical peptide. Just cleanse, pat your skin dry, and apply it twice daily. Get started today with 15% off using code BEINGWELL at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code BEINGWELL. After your purchase, they'll ask you where you came from, and please support the show and tell them that we sent you. If you like being well, I think you'll really enjoy the Dr. John Delaney show. Dr. John's show was recently in the top five of all podcasts on Apple Podcasts, which is just an incredible accomplishment, and it speaks to how much value people get out of the show. Dr. John has a PhD in counseling, and he's been working with people for over 20 years, and the show has a very cool format. Real people call into the show and he walks them through how to navigate a tough situation related to common challenges. Maybe it's something related to their relationships, anxieties, or emotional well-being. He explores a lot of topics that are similar to what we talk about on this podcast, but while we can sometimes be pretty theoretical in nature, the format of John's show just creates a lot of directness and practicality to it. I think it's actually a really nice compliment to what we do here on Being Well. No matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Delaney Show is here for you. And if you ever need some advice, you know who to call. Listen to the Dr. John Delaney Show wherever you get your podcasts, or follow the link on our website. To give one kind of additional piece of advice, thought, however you kind of want to frame it, a lot of what we're talking about here is various forms of non-judgment. How can we have an experience without judging it? Or That's how really can we great. You're have an emotion. That. Yeah, yep. without judging it. Because mm-hmm. releasing is important. Moving along is important. This is really critical to maintaining our mental health in a lot of different kinds of ways. But sometimes it's about kind of having the emotion in you without really judging yourself for it. Mm-hmm. And right now, a lot of people have a very natural experience of sadness, disappointment, stress, anxiety, anger, fear, whatever that exists inside of them. And sometimes it's appropriate to have a moment where you go, I'm not going to attach to this emotion. I'm not going to let it govern me. But I am open to letting it kind of exist non-judgmentally inside of myself, where I go, oh, there's some sadness there. I think the challenge that people experience is when they start to move into shame. And they, they move from sadness into shaming themselves for feeling sadness or allowing that sadness to make them feel like a shameful person for some reason. 
you know, I'm sad because I'm not mentally strong enough, or the sadness evokes a sense memory that gets them into a shaming experience that happened in the past, maybe with their family, whatever it might be. That's where I think we start to run into some challenges from a mental health standpoint, because shame is such a strong and corrosive emotional experience. But if we can just exist in an acknowledgement of the presence of sadness or disappointment inside of ourselves and sort of hold that without a lot of judgment, then I think, man, you can be perfectly functional moving through the day with that experience still living inside of you. And then in its own time, at its own pace, whenever it's appropriate, you can go through this process of trying to release that emotion and let it go. That's so good. Um, and it, you know, there's this, uh, I think, Japanese poem. It's a Zen poem, essentially. Uh, it goes more or less like this. I'm going to garble it, but the essence is here, which is snow in the winter, new flowers in spring, warm in the summer, leaves fall in autumn. If you make nothing in your mind for you, it is always a good season. Mm-hmm. And like so many pith teachings, especially in the Zen tradition, you can really reflect on this a lot. And what you're talking about for me in part, Forrest, is about not making criticisms or judgments or evaluations in our mind. It's really important to be clear about discerning and valuing. There's certainly a place for that. Oh, but yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, but when we start tipping into adding what our view of something is good or bad, uh, in terms of what we're actually experiencing, then it gets very mm. complicated. And it, mm-hmm. so many issues psychologically uh, are resolved when people come down to their primary experience mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. it is and shift in their relationship to that primary experience into a way of being that is accepting and mindful. Yeah, with no, a, I with warm hearted. Super, super true. Yeah. Yep. Warm hearted. Mm-hmm. And that warm hearted element, I think, is really important to bring to it, to that non-judgmental space. For me, I've been playing a lot with various forms of of compassion meditation and like meta and Mm. all of that kind of stuff recently, which is just a wonderful background tone to kind of have inside of the emotional experience that you're having. Because you can be sad and still have a broad field of kind of warm-heartedness that you exist inside of. You can be angry and be warm-hearted. You can be warm-hearted while being anxious, you know, whatever. You can have multiple experiences at the same time. And sometimes that's a way to kind of soften the blow of uh, more challenging emotions. That's totally true. Uh, One more little detail on uh, letting go, Uh, just the cognitive track. It's very helpful sometimes to identify core beliefs, you know, Mm, ideas, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. try to find a language phrase for them that underlie what you're feeling. For example, a belief, I shouldn't be sad. Yeah. I have so much to be thankful for, I should not be sad. Mm -hmm. Or another belief would be something like, I will feel sad always. Beliefs like that. And then what you do is you basically identify, you know, rebuttals to those particular beliefs that you believe. Two or more rebuttals (laughs) to each one of those beliefs and that's another way to help yourself release those beliefs that uh, make you unhappy, make you sad. And then, if I could, mm-hmm. the fourth step, really. So find your footing, open to the experience, let go, and then let in. The fourth step mm-hmm. is to turn to the good and take in the good that is alongside or mingled with 
the sadness. So for example, maybe there's action to take. Maybe there's a, a plan of some kind. So you would figure out what to do about that. Or maybe alongside the sadness, you would experience actually a tenderizing of your own heart. Sorrow tenderizes the heart, as the saying puts it. And you would be aware of that. Or maybe you would dwell on the fact that that the sadness is rooted in your lovingness. If you were not loving as a being, uh, you wouldn't be sad so much about separation. Uh, and so there's, there's an awareness of that. There could also be an awareness that alongside the sadness, yeah, it's real. Certain circumstances suck. There is no end to suck. <laughs> Something always <laughs> sucks somewhere for someone, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so we can put that on that's a fortune true. cookie right there. Something <laughs> always sucks. <laughs> that's right. So you heard it from me. <laughs> oh, and what's alongside that though? Okay, this really sucks. There's no denial here. I am sad. It sucks, right? You and I were talking oh, with your mom and my wife a moment ago uh, before we started about Thanksgiving plans and how completely mm -hmm. disrupted they are this year. Even though you live, I could walk to your house. Trust me, I won't walk over and knock on your door and freak you out. That'd be a little invasive. <laughs> it would be a long walk, but <laughs> you, you would could be walk. Yeah, a few it would be miles, quite a, quite quite a walk. <laughs> I'd be there. Anyway, a couple hours, I'll be right there. Anyway, so it's, yeah, they, it really sucks. But what's alongside that? Well, alongside that sucky is we can connect with each other in other ways. Alongside mm -hmm. that sucky is I can think of you with love, Anytime I want. I can see pictures of you when you're a little boy uh, and, and adorable and wild, um, um, et cetera, et cetera. You know, alongside that, I got a new coffee machine. I like my coffee machine. <laughs> I like coffee. That's pretty okay, right? So what's okay alongside it? Yeah. The last thing I just emphasize as a way to uh, let in the good and turn to the good is to look for things that are reparative. There's a lot of research that shows that one way that helps, not maybe not always, but a lot it helps to repair loss and um, obstructions to love is to do things that are reparative, to like make a gift for someone you love mm -hmm. and send it to them. You're not going to see them face to face, but they're with you as you make that special little handicraft gift for them or those extra special cookies you're going to send to them or something like that. Or maybe with somebody unrelated to those you're separated from, you just are deliberately particularly caring or nice mm, to them. Mm -hmm. or you, you, you're, you move into some form of generosity or expressiveness. And it's kind of paradoxical because there we are. When we're sad, we feel like we're not receiving enough of something, let's say, in the world, from the world. And it, you know, it seems so paradoxical that we're going to help ourselves feel better by giving something. And yet there's something miraculous about the ways in which giving can help to heal, not getting. I think that's a really lovely reflection. And to add just two other things kind of quickly that are maybe a little practical in terms of ways to, to work with this, because we've, we've focused really internally, this these practices can be internal as well, or they can be a little bit more externalized. Uh, one of the most useful questions for me when I'm going through a challenging emotional experience is where is it coming from? Mm. What's the root thing that I'm worried about that underlies the emotional experience? This is actually particularly useful for anxiety, but I think it can also be applied to sadness as well. 
Am I sad because I'm lonely? Am I sad because I'm disappointed? Am I sad because I'm fearful and anxious? Or is this just like general stress for the fact that I'm about to be interacting with some challenging relatives? What is the sadness coming from? Because that can help give us a roadmap to understanding, as you were saying a second ago, Dad, ways that we can kind of positively intervene out in the world yeah. to maybe help us feel better about that sadness. Then the second thing that I would say is the importance of communicating our needs. Often when we think about that, we think of it in terms of talking to people, friends, partners, loved ones, whoever, who can be supportive of us. And we express our needs to them so that they can meet our needs. Mm. Of course, that's really important. That's very fundamental for having a good relationship with people. But sometimes it's not safe to express our emotions to others. For instance, not all of us are in a family situation where it's appropriate for us to say to another member of the family, I'm really stressed out about seeing you. Or, oh, I just really don't want to do another family Thanksgiving because the last one was a disaster and here we are again. You know, like that's not always a safe communication to make. But what you can do is you can be honest about your needs to yourself. Even if you're just sitting down on the couch and closing your eyes and you're really asking yourself the honest question, what are my needs here? What would make me feel less sad? What would make me feel more safe? Where are these emotions coming from? And a lot of the time for a lot of people, I mean, very much myself included here, that honest expression of need can be very challenging and very vulnerable. Very Because, yeah. yeah, a lot of us are really acculturated into feeling like we're supposed to not have needs, feeling like we're supposed to just be kind of iron people fundamentally moving through the world, and it's all supposed to be water off a duck's back, and if we ever feel something really intensely, members of our family say, oh, lighten up about it. Like if you are acculturated into that environment, you can be really divorced from your fundamental needs. And a lot of sadness, disappointment, anxiety, fear, anger can come out of that stew very, very easily. So even if it's adulthood, even if it's just toward yourself without the aid of somebody else, really asking yourself that question, like what do I need and what can I do to meet those needs more effectively? Completely, completely great. For me, something that's been really helpful with that is writing things down, like little elements of journaling, little elements of free association, uh, stream of consciousness writing, stuff like that has been a pretty useful practice because sometimes when you get into those uh, less narratively censored states, I have a pretty strong internal editor that is kind of editing what's coming out of my mouth most of the time. Hmm. Some people are more edited, some people are less edited. But if you're somebody who happens to be pretty edited, uh, trying to release that for a moment and just like sit down and free associate or sit down and stream of consciousness without editing and see how long you can do it for before you start editing what you want to write with that pencil and that piece of paper can mm -hmm. be a really useful practice. I've certainly found it super helpful personally. One thing we should, of course, uh, mention here is that sadness can sometimes sit on top of depression. Mm, mm -hmm. And in clinical psychology, it's known that it can be useful to sort of disentangle those two. And it's useful for people to, to just be aware of the fact, uh, kind of the transition from, okay, is this a fairly passing mm, feeling mm -hmm. or is this a lasting mood? And sometimes feelings of sadness gradually accumulate 
and leave behind lasting residues of depression. And depression is really important to acknowledge. It's very common. It's sometimes a natural response to certain situations, but if it can, if depression starts becoming increasingly sort of independently existing, it starts taking on a life of its own. It's, it hangs around independent of situations or interactions, relationships, and it becomes with you. Even uh, in terms of what's called dysthymic disorder, which like which is a mildly depressed mood in the background, and then moving into p- the possibility of episodes of clinical depression. Clinical depression is episodic. It's an important point, although these episodes can certainly last a long time, like months, certainly, mm-hmm. if not in, if not weeks. So be aware of that. And if you are feeling depressed, and if you know in particular if that depression. Uh, is starting to move into thoughts of self-harming of one kind or another, suicidal ideation, wondering if life is worth continuing to go on, etc. Be sure, be sure, please. Take it from me, really. Talk to somebody about that. Yeah, I mean, that's such a rich topic all in and of itself. And just as a quick reminder to people, if they're new to the show, last year we did a series of episodes focused on this idea of, quote-unquote, who am I? Um, what are the things that go into making the self? And as part of that, we spent, I think it was four episodes talking about depression and then bipolar disorder. So we have four episodes focused on sort of depression spectrum experiences that mm-hmm. people have. So if you'd like to learn more about that, I'd strongly recommend them. I think that they're there in August-ish of 2019, if you want to go back through the archives, and you'll see some titles that should be hopefully recognizable if I've SEO'd them correctly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, on a, on a felt level, that transition from state to trait, if you will, from mood mm. to experience is- You mean from feeling to mood. Or sorry, from feeling to mood, yeah. I, I think is such an important one to be conscious of. And in the DSM, which is kind of the uh, way in which these things are diagnosed clinically, there are all of these requirements that a person has to hit in order to be described as clinically depressed. But something I just want to highlight is that one of the ways that we really talked about it in our series of episodes on this topic was of depression as a kind of spectrum. Mm. And sure, you may not be clinically depressed. You might not be hitting four of the seven necessary criteria for depression. But if you're at three of those criteria or even two of those criteria, you're flirting with it, right? <laughs> like you're, you're on the spectrum. And just acknowledging that and understanding that and feeling it inside of yourself can, again, put you in much more of a position to do something about it um, and to meet those feelings more effectively. So I think we've spent a good amount of time talking about sadness here. I want to talk about disappointment specifically, a little bit separate from sadness, really briefly here. So there have been many, many disappointments this year, large and small, and it's likely that there are going to be some more around the upcoming holidays. For you, Dad, when you're disappointed by something, what does it feel like internally, maybe differently from sadness? And how do you kind of approach it? What do you do about it? Well, disappointment clearly involves not having something happen that you wanted to have happen. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And we could talk about being disappointed in ourselves or disappointed in other people, but there's this fundamental sense of being let down, 
uh, it might have related feelings of anger, actually, or irritation or frustration to go along with it, or injustice. One of the things that um, uh, I try to be aware of with regard to disappointment kind of goes back to a saying uh, attributed to Stephen Gaskin, uh, kind of a teacher back in the 70s, who said, if you don't want to be disappointed, don't get appointed to a particular future, <laughs> which sure. basically get, has, speaks to the ways in which you know attachment creates suffering you know, and so on. Uh, so I think a lot about expectation. Disappointment mm-hmm. comes out of expectation. And one way to handle disappointment in a preventative kind of way is to be mindful of your expectations or your standards for others. And I think there's wisdom. Maybe we'll do an episode, which would be very interesting, on the wisdom of what are appropriate moral standards to hold other people to or yourself mm. to or, and to be discerning and valuing of where people are without that without falling into various pitfalls of righteousness or disappointment or naivete about what actually you can realistically expect from other people no matter mm. what they mm-hmm. should do. So that would be a whole thing there. But being mindful of our um, expectations, our standards going in, I think is a way to prevent disappointment uh, to some extent. And certainly when we're feeling disappointment, to feel it. And then for me at least, I'm disappointed. I didn't get what I wanted. Something didn't happen that I wanted to have happen. (sighs) Breathe, breathe, feel it. Okay. (laughs) On to the next thing. (laughs) I mean, I I don't mean that glibly. I mean more like, well, okay, what can I still get? in this one wild and precious life, in a kind of sense. Disappointment is Mm. we didn't get something. Okay, I got it. I want to honor that. I want to feel it. But I'm not dead in the water. There's always something else I can get in the sense of what new feeling or idea or possibility or way of being can I direct my attention toward? What productive action could I take to get some good things. And also sometimes, uh, it's really interesting. I'll finish on this. Sometimes disappointment tells us, you know, the fix was in. (laughs) You know, I was trying to grow corn in the desert. Uh, I was casting my seeds on stony ground. And you start to realize, oh, okay, there's a lesson here in the disappointment. The causes and conditions were not auspicious. They were not maybe fully developed or... I chose the wrong kind of person to do that with. Uh, No knock on myself, but lessons learned. But next time I'm going to choose a different kind of person who's much less likely to be disappointing. So there are things we can do. There are things we can learn from our disappointment in terms of moving forward. What's so present in that answer for me is just the experience of agency, Hmm. which we've talked about all the time on the podcast, where- That's so good. Yeah, where where the difference between the difference between being able to work with disappointment positively versus just getting I don't know, kind of borne down by it and falling into apathy or depression or whatever else based on disappointment is do you still retain the experience of agency? Do you feel like you can move on from this moment of disappointment and make other good things in the world? So if you can claim that experience of agency, And if you're really able to refocus on the elements of your life where you do have the ability to change what happens to you, because part of 
for me, the negative experience of disappointment is it feels like something happened to me. Right. You know, this wasn't what I wanted to have happen. And this thing is happening to me now. And I don't like it. This isn't fair. This isn't what I thought was going to happen. And someone else is doing this to me. I'm not at choice about yeah. it. Uh, which is why I think agency is such an important antidote experience for feelings of disappointment. Forrest, I think it's so cool that you zeroed in on this essential <laughs> element in this yeah. territory of disappointment. I've learned something from you right there. Hey, that was I'm really glad. useful. No, I think it's super true. Yeah. And it uh, kind of goes to this teaching from the S training. Now I'm going mm. way deep into the 70s for my mm -hmm, own background. Mm -hmm. And we're uh, in that training developed by Werner Erhard. Uh, they made a distinction between the experience of being at effect or being at cause. And in addition to the experience of it, the sort of objective reality of when we are at effect uh, and when we are at cause. So when we're at effect, we're sort of like the pins in a bowling alley. And when we're at cause, we're more like the ball rolling down the alley toward the pins. So when we're, just to say, to talk about what you just said there a little bit in this framework, the truth is in life, we are often at effect. And if we mm -hmm. lie about that or deny that, those are second darts we're throwing. And there's a place for honoring and experiencing and being uh, humble enough to realize that stuff happens to us in all kinds of ways, for better or worse, that we did not create ourselves. We were not agents of the birth we took in this life the social class or ethnicity, et cetera, of our parents, our genetic endowment. We're not the agents of that. And we're not the agents of all kinds of stuff that happens to us in life, good and bad. So there's a very important place for accepting being out of fact when you are and not fighting it, not lying about it, not being grandiose and to deny it. <sighs> and then, whew, shift into where are you at cause, if only inside your own mind. And that rhythm of receiving the arising moment that we're at the effect of, while then also uh, leaning into the next moment at cause is a fundamental, fundamental process. And totally agree. For me, that's what allows us to get the, the pleasure and enjoyment and good value that feelings of hope and anticipation can give us because non-attachment is great and just not having any expectations, you know, lovely in theory, but in practice, like we want to anticipate stuff. We want to be hopeful. We want to, you know, look forward to the next day and have a feeling inside of ourselves that something good is going to happen. Like that's such a fundamental part of being mentally healthy and being resilient and all of that. So how you do that without being attached to it in the negative sense of the word for me is having the confidence in yourself that if something goes sideways, you're going to be able to look at it and go, oh, okay, that went sideways, but here's what I can do now. And that's kind of what keeps you safe inside of still being able to attach to being hopeful and positive and looking forward in life. Yeah. You know, the saying uh, that I just invented rose in my mind, maybe because I'm reading a lot of Zen these days, but um, strong intentions, weak hopes. Or strong yeah. intentions, weak expectations. <laughs> weak expectations <laughs> may be a good way to do it. I like strong hopes, but weak okay. expectations. 
I, I think I, I kind of like because I, for all of my uh, perceived optimism, am actually probably a bit of a natural pessimist. And uh, so the idea of having kind of weak expectations in other people definitely resonates with me on a deep level. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's a lovely uh, note to kind of end this episode on. That was a, a great conversation here. Dad, do you have any kind of final thoughts on any of this? Oh boy, I could go on forever. I, I'm just very struck, honestly. It probably sounds pretty cheesy, but just what a cool guy you are, Forrest. And so just oh, uh, well, feel thanks, that a Dad. lot. I learned stuff here. <laughs> you know, when when we learn things ourselves, right, when we grow from these conversations ourselves, then you really know, wow, something very cool happened. Well, it's, it's, it's good to reciprocate because I learn stuff from you all the time, as I have for 33 years, and here we are today. <laughs> so, all right, all that said, I'm going to do a quick recap of our conversation today. Today, we focused on sadness and disappointment, particularly around the holidays, but honestly, just kind of in general as well. And we focused on a number of key topics. The first was this idea of accepting the presence of emotions inside of ourselves. We're going to have emotions that are challenging. It's a natural part of life. I remember a line from Tal Ben-Shahar, who we had on the podcast. I believe that his line was, the only people who don't experience negative emotions are psychopaths and the dead. So it's a good thing that you're feeling something negative because it means that you're not a psychopath and you're still alive. So there you go. It's kind of one way to frame the whole thing. That's a low bar, but okay. <laughs> but hey, there you go. So anyways, it's a natural, normal part of human experience. And we want to avoid things like toxic positivity, where we suppress our negative emotions in order to accommodate the people around us in negative ways. Of course, there's a place for some accommodation. There's a place for not being an Eeyore all the time at the family gathering or at the party, but at the same time, inside of ourselves, we can be honest and open about the true experience that we're having. Then alongside that, Rick th moved through a wonderful progression, essentially of let be, let go, let in, working with the experience of sadness. You're feeling it, you're sensing to the core of it, you're not getting caught up in the story around the emotion, and then all of these practices to let that emotion go and hopefully turn toward the good things that still do, honestly, openly, earnestly, exist inside of your life. We then talked a bit more about working with sadness in detail, talking about uh, root experiences, what are the things that the sadness is coming from, and I mentioned for a little while there the idea of communicating your needs. What are the true things that you need in your life, even if you can only say them to yourself? At the end, we talked a bit about disappointment and got into what we could honestly spend at least one episode, if not many episodes, talking about, which is kind of the, the theory of how do we look forward to stuff without just setting ourselves up for disappointment? Um, how can we be hopeful and positive while also not being negatively attached to specific outcomes? What I landed on with that is that the experience of agency is really important so that when inevitably things do disappoint us, we're able to kind of turn on toward another thing that we can influence positively in our lives. And I think that that really insulates us from a lot of the negative experience of disappointment and the challenges that come alongside attachment. So as we get toward the end of the episode, quick reminder about Rick's Foundations of Wellbeing online program. Registration is open. There's a big sale for it going on right now. If you are in need, there are scholarships available. Please send in a scholarship request if you are somebody who needs one. We love fulfilling scholarships. It's one of Rick's favorite parts 
of doing the program as a whole, being able to do that for people. Then if you've been enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would leave a rating, a review, and subscribe to it through the platform of your choice. And if you've really been loving the podcast for a while, you can follow us on Patreon. We're on patreon.com slash beingwell, and if you go there, you can support the show. Uh, I create these detailed show notes for every episode. We do monthly Q&As. I'm starting to release a lot more additional content on that platform, and it has been really, really cool to just interact with people on a more personal level through there and to feel their support of the work that we're doing over here, which is profoundly appreciated. So all that said, thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.